Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. It was funny, last week Cody was up here and... Uh because we're doing this, uh, what would Jesus do? Which is kind of a flashback to the '90s, 1890s. It turns out, but uh, uh, I was thinking about the '90s. I I don't remember them. I think I was working the whole '90s. You know what I'm saying? We're having kids. We're trying to pay the bills. I think I just worked the whole. I don't remember anything. So um, those of you who could enjoy it, good for you. Now, if you want to talk '70s, I'm your man. <laughs> so we're doing this. Uh, this what would Jesus do? And uh, as a way to start out our year, and I think I think it's really appropriate. And last week we we started with um, uh, just his invitation to follow him when he says follow me, and the the following uh, him is so that we can become like him. So follow him, become like him. Uh, so this again, I want to kind of change uh, maybe WWJD a little bit to what would Jesus demand? What? Well, yeah. If he said follow, he's going to have expectations. He didn't ask you to follow him just so he could get his, uh, you know, his number of likes up. He invited you to follow him uh, so that you could be affected by following him. In other words, being with him, uh, following him, he's going to expect you to make some changes, going to expect you to do some things that he knows will be beneficial for you. And so, yes, he makes some demands on us, and that's why some of us are afraid to follow him. But today I want to talk about this because we could be, um, we could be tempted to think that WWJD, what would Jesus do, is uh, some kind of legalistic, if I, you know, if I just do the things what Jesus do, I'd be good. It, it kind of becomes this, like, this, this scorekeeping uh, or rule-keeping kind of thing. But it's not that. He expects you to change. He expects you to do things differently. But it's not because you've learned rule number 37 or whatever it is. It's because of your relationship with him. Now, if you're like me and you've ever made any positive changes in your life, I have to be honest with you, most of the positive changes I've made in my life are because of someone else, right? So like my, my wife is on the East Coast today trying to get home. <laughs> anyway, uh, good luck. Uh, so, uh, but, but when we got married years ago, uh, there have been some significant changes in my behavior. Let me give you just a silly one, like clothes hampers. I know what they are now. I actually hit it once in a while, or in the general vicinity, once in a while. That didn't happen on my own. That happened because this other person that was living in my home uh, refused to allow me to continue to just, you know, where I take them off is where they stay, okay? And by the way, I hope she doesn't get out right away because I've got some work to do at home before she arrives back. But (laughs) most of the best changes are because of a relationship that we're in. Uh, We are motivated to change by someone we care about or someone who cares about us. Same is true with a relationship with God. We want to do what Jesus would do uh, because because of the influence, the intimacy that we have with Jesus. And I want to make sure we don't set out the year to kind of keep the rules and miss the point. So here's what it says, John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine. Now, I'm, gonna start, I'm not going to stop every, but I'll just stop here, okay? Just real quick. I got a couple of quick stops I got to do before we get to this, okay? First of all, I am the true vine. Now, here's what you need to know. The, 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 the metaphor here is a vineyard, right? It's a vineyard where they grow grapes, they make wine. All right, so that's kind of the picture we're working with here. But it's not a new picture. It was a picture, not only were grapes everywhere in, uh, in the ancient world, certainly in Israel, uh, but it was also... Uh, 
had been used as a metaphor before. In the Old Testament, Israel is called the vine. And the vine, the way to salvation is to be a part of Israel, to worship as Israel worship, keep the worship, keep the religion, etc. But here's the deal. If you read the Old Testament, most of the time when Israel is referred to as the vine, it's by a prophet who's sticking his bony little finger in their chest going, you are blowing it. You're supposed to be the vine. You're supposed to be God's people. You're supposed to live in this and you are blowing it. You are not doing well. So Jesus is talking to Jewish people. He says, I'm the true vine. In other words, you guys didn't pull it off. You guys didn't live up to what God expected. I am the true vine. So right off the bat, he's like, it's a little barb in there. A little kind of wake up, listen up. So you and I go, yeah, okay, it's a metaphor, plants, okay, whatever. No, no, it's a very specific uh, thing he says here. And then he goes this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. This is going to become very important because... We as human beings want to be in control. We want to not only be in control, we want to believe we're in control, and even we want to take credit for improving our own selves. Here's what he says. My father is the gardener. That's important. We'll come back to that in a moment. Just note that. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, there's a word that happened there a lot. Did you catch it? The word remain. 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 If, you, if, you're, if you're old like me and you know the King James, abide. Abide. What it means is kind of stick to, be connected to. And so the first thing, so if, if Jesus were going to make demands of our life, I think the first demand he might make is that we abide or we, or we remain or we stay connected to him. That's the first demand. Stay connected to me. Without me, you got nothing. Without me, you're going nowhere. Stay connected to me. I think that would be his, his first thing. So if Jesus is the true vine, then he goes on and he talks about true fruit if Jesus is the true vine, then only that which is done through him, by him, is of real value. So I've been thinking about this lately. I, I had a little startling thing a few weeks ago. I was in another city, and I was going to go to church. I always go to church, at least one, maybe two churches on the weekends. And, uh, and I was going to go to church that I had known about for my whole life. And it had been started maybe back in the 70s, probably, and had become a, a, a large church in a metropolitan area. And uh, the, the pastor was a little younger, but a friend of my father's, and he had since handed on a leadership to someone else. And it had been a big church, big, much bigger than this. And uh, school, all kinds of things, great impact in that city. And so I just wanted to go visit and, and just kind of see it. And uh, I uh, got up in the morning, Sunday morning, I began to try to find it, uh, uh, find their service times, you know, uh, show up on time. I didn't want to look like a newcomer and get there on time. I was just mean, wasn't it? I was just kind of honorary. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, and, and the craziest thing happened. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find what time their services started. And so it kind of launched me down this rabbit hole um, uh, before I went to church. Why can't I find their service time? It's a big church. Everybody knows you put it online. Everybody can find it. Turns out they were not having church anymore. They had closed down. I mean, I know where the campus is. It's still there. It's big. It's huge. They still got a big school. They shut the campus down. And it kind of made me sad. Kind of like, what happened? Well, you know, I was curious what happened and, and some other things. And I was kind of sad. 
But what I realized is that very few things in life last very long. Maybe it was God's will. Maybe it wasn't God's will that this church shut down. I'm a little confused about what happened there. But here's what I know. Is that the thousands, literally thousands of people over that half a century that went there, those people remain in Jesus. And the fruit of that ministry will remain. When the buildings get torn down and sold off for condos or whatever it is, what will remain is what was done with Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus, through that pastor and his staff and those people. One of the things that I think that, that if we would do well, and as you get older, you kind of tend to do this more, is to examine your life. Is what you're doing, are you building some kind of monument to yourself that's going to be gone within, at the most, one generation? But probably within a few years, well, I'm building a big bank account for my kids. Your kids are going to blow all that money. And you'll be mad that you didn't leave them more. I'm building a great company. Oh, that's great. They're going to sell that company corporate conglomerate somewhere, and nobody will ever remember your name. The question is, is what I'm building with my life, is it of the true vine? The way I know it's the true vine, it's by Jesus. Yes, it's through my work and, and him working in me, but it's for him and it will last for eternity. And so if you were to just take out kind of your, like some kind of schedule of your efforts, how much of what you're investing in and I'm investing in, it's going to last forever. And how much is just building silly monuments to myself that are going to be torn down? And I think it's a sobering thought. It's not to say that other things aren't good and hard work, all those things, but what percentage of your time are you investing in the true vine, in the true fruit of the true vine? So the true fruit comes from the true vine, and the branches need to be tended. So here he talks about cutting off some and pruning some. Now, I was recently talking to someone who grows uh, grapes and, and, and makes wine. And in their vineyard, they were telling me that, yes, you cut off all the dead stuff. That's not good. You cut it off. By the way, just to, just, just to take this metaphor maybe an inch further than it was intended. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the Old Testament, um, you can bring, uh, you, they were to bring sacrifice, wood for sacrifices in the temple, uh, but you couldn't bring grapevines because they were just worthless. So dead wood is worthless. Just thought I'd point that out. If you're not making application, think about it a second. So what, the, so what the gardener does is he comes and he cuts off the dead parts. Cuts off the dead parts. By the way, in this passage, he just said, I made you clean by what I've told you. So he is not talking to those who are far from God. He's talking to people who are trying to follow Jesus. He's saying, there are some of you who are just dead in the water, even though you know who I am. And you might even on some level believe in me. One of the things I want to, I want, I, I don't want to be mean, but I want to be, I want to be stern. I think we're not careful. We can fall into kind of an orbit version of Christianity where we believe in Jesus. We give mentalists, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord. But we never get close to Jesus. We just kind of orbit around the outside, just within vision. We can see Jesus. We can identify Jesus, but he can't really look in our eyes. They can't reach out and grab us and go, listen up, bud. We want, we want that kind of Jesus. So now, speaking of the 70s, I'm a child of the 70s. There was this song, and not born in the 70s, by the way, just raised in them. And there was this song, Jesus is Just All Right With Me. Anybody ever heard of it? By a band, theological sounding name, the Doobie Brothers. Um, all the old folks like that one. All the kids are going, what? Um, 
What's interesting is we want to live our lives with some some kind of connection to Jesus, some kind of wink and a nod at Jesus, but we don't want to get in there close. And when he's saying, you are the branches and I am the vine, you can't from a distance absorb anything from the vine. You've got to be connected to it. The indication seems to be that if you're going to just orbit, you're not really in it. You're not in it at all. So I see a lot of people orbiting around Jesus. Could I invite you to quit orbiting and get connected to him and see if it doesn't change your life? Because orbiting is you still trying to be in control over things that you're not in control over. You trying to self-determine where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and how you're going to get there. And it doesn't work. You're going to end up like everybody else. At some point, you're just going to spin out of orbit. So what what we're called to do is we're called to connect because everybody in orbit gets cut off. And we're called to connect to the vine, but you're not done yet. Just because you're connected to the vine, we'll talk about how that happens in a moment. Just because you're connected doesn't mean God's not going to, the gardener's not going to do some trimming on you. This, this, uh, this person that, that runs this vineyard told me, it was interesting. So I said, so you cut off all the bad stuff. Oh yeah, we cut off all the bad stuff. And we cut off some good stuff too. So What? No, no, we cut off some of the good grapes too because the sugar content smell, as, as it flows, it just gets too diluted. And so we try to concentrate it. So we go from a good grape to a great grape by cutting off some stuff that's not really absolutely necessary. It's not bad stuff. It's just not needed. Have you ever had something you really wanted? It was a good thing. You knew God couldn't disprove it. And yet he didn't let you have it. Did you ever in that moment get mad at God and go, God, what are you doing? And then you have this thought. Oh, okay, that was, I'm sure that was fine, but you've got something better. One of the things I'm trying to learn these days is when I get disappointed, I just want to say, okay, God, you must have that. That was probably good, but you must have something better because <laughs> you're doing some pruning here and I don't like it. It's not comfortable. I'm not getting my way in this moment. You know, I always like that. And, but you must have something better. And because you're the Lord of my life and I want to stay connected to you, I'm going to stick around and see what the better is. And so he cuts off what's dead he prunes what is good so that it is better, it is best. And um, then, and only then, as we remain, we stay abide, abiding in him and allow him to do that work to us. Um, yeah. So one of the things that, that we need to think about is, what is the difference um, what is the difference between this staying connected versus this kind of just orbiting around and staying at a distance? Well, staying at a distance, keeping your distance, allows you to maintain, at least for a period, the delusion of being in control. But it leaves you lonely and empty and hopeless. And as scary as it is to come in and connect with Jesus, it's your only hope. Because he's going to confront your selfishness and your sin. He's going to do that. But he can also fill you up and give you the satisfaction and joy of the hope that you've always wanted. So I, I, my, my theme is for 24 is kind of more in 24. Now, it's not desserts. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that really matter. I'm talking about like, I don't know, I want to know him more in 24. I want to know Jesus more in 24 because it's in the knowing of Jesus. It's in that knowing that everything else changes. I want to know him more. So if I were to ask you today, how are you in Jesus? How you doing? Now, for some of you, it's just a silly question. So for some of you, it's like, a, well, theologically, I know who Jesus is, and I believe that most of that stuff, so I'm good. 
Lots of people say, well, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Me and God, we're good. And I always want to say, how do you know? Because if you ask me how I know I'm good with God, is I know what his promises were. I know that requirement on my part was to accept them and to continue to be connected, remaining in relationship with him. And I just talked to him this morning. And his promises are still good. Some of you, well, I know I'm good because I'm, I'm a good person. Wrong answer. Not in here. Can't be that good. Well, I know we're okay because 14 years ago at, at Angel Stadium, well, that's great. Have you, have you connected since then? Because you might have some updates for your personality and your character that he needs to make. Have you, have you checked in lately? So how are you in Jesus? I want to know more in 24. The second one is that we're to produce fruit. And here's what, here's what it sounds like. Um, I am the vine, you're the branches. Sounds familiar. If you remain in me and I am in you, you'll bear much fruit. So, okay, bearing fruit, we've heard that before. Um, Apart from me, you could do nothing. Pretty powerful, but we understand. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, now that's the interesting thing. If you remain in me and now he's added something. If you remain in me and my words the Bible, remain in, in you. It's okay. So we've added now, okay, I've got I've to commit to be connected to Jesus daily, and I've got to commit to his word daily. And it says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Whoa. Wow, that, that's kind of... Well, let's start with the first part here. The asking, well, that's prayer. So now we've got remaining in Jesus, connected to him through his word and through prayer. He'll ask, he'll do whatever you ask. Now, the qualifiers on the ask is you got to ask in his will. And so when I pray for something, God says that we, sh- we should bring the desires of our heart to him, that we can, we can boldly, uh, with confidence, approach God in prayer, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what he's done. But when we do that, we need to pray in his will, in his will. So when I pray, I've got something, God, I, I just, I'm worried about this. I need this. I really think this. Be, and I, but then I always say, but Lord, you know best. Your will be done. Your will be done. Because sometimes my urges can be off. It could have been bad pizza from last night. I don't know what it was. Lord, your will. I want what you want more than I want what I want. So let's look at this real quick. Fruit bearing is A, dependent upon staying connected, remaining, abiding. Fruit bearing is a part of, uh, is just a part of that. It's an outflow of that thing. Um, To live disconnected is to come to spiritual death. And, um, so what, is, what does this mean? I don't know if you, you've ever experienced this, but you may uh, have times missed a day or two of prayer. I know, rare, but you may have. Let me tell you, about that third day you missed time of prayer, your attitude starts to shrivel up and wither, just like it says here. You start getting selfish. You start getting kind of touchy. Is that true or no? Yeah, it's only me. Liars don't go to heaven. But what he's saying is, if I'll just challenge you this week. Just this week, just every day, spend some time with Jesus in the morning. Read his word, do a little prayer. I'll talk more about that in a moment. And just see if your attitude isn't different, if your reactions aren't different, if you don't have a different perspective because you did that in the morning. 
It's not self-talk. It's something more than that. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's, let's get to that right now. So there's this uh, Teresa of Avila, a good friend of mine back in the 1600s, or 16th century. And um, she was this uh, contemplative. She, was, she was, um, uh, spent a lot of time just knowing God and learning how to know God. She says that there are uh, four buckets of prayer, like drawing water. She compares uh, prayer levels to uh, drawing water. Says the first level of prayer is like taking a bucket down to the stream or the river and filling it up and having to carry it all the way back. It is just hard work. It is just hard work. I, I've been all over the world. I've seen people carry water on their heads, over their shoulder. Nobody likes carrying water, okay? It's just hard work. It needs to be done. She said this is like the prayer life that is about either duty or panic, the duty is I need to pray, I got to pray, so I'll say my 16 things, do the four things, whatever, and I'm out, I'm good for the day. It's just a duty, it's just a ritual, and it's no fun, it's like carrying water. Or, every time we come, we're in a panic, God, I need this, I got to do this, it's always with this request list, and Lord, I got that, I need that, okay, thanks for your time, and I'm out of here. So that's the hardest kind of prayer, and the least fulfilling kind of prayer. So the second kind of prayer is similar, but this time you have a well, and you have a pulley at the top, and you have ropes. And you let the, the bucket down, you fill it up while you bring it up, and then you carry it whatever short distance remains. Said so it's easier than that, um, but, it's just, it, it, but it's still hard because it's hard work. You got to pull it up even though you get the mechanical help. So in this kind of prayer, I still come, and it's mostly centered around what I need and what I want, but at least I'm aware that I'm talking to God. At least I'm aware that, it, that it's God and that God is, is, is somehow is benevolent or, or cares for me. So there's more than just, hey, I got to get this. It's about, um, I know there's God and he's loving me and I got to get this. And it's still kind of hard work. So chair, uh, prayer begins to change. And by the way, I've spent a lot of time there. And the third bucket is that prayer begins to change when it becomes more like um, uh, irrigation. Irrigation has been around for thousands of years. And so what irrigation is, you do a lot of hard work up front. And then when you need water, you just pull the gate into the troughs you've already, and it kind of goes in. And you still got to go out and pull the gates. But in reality, there's something happening there. There's something happening in your prayer life in this version. You don't just show up. And the most important thing is to get right to my to-do list. You realize there's another element. There's another person there. There is a God who deserves and desires your praise, which benefits you more than it benefits him. So I've told you this hundreds of times in my prayer time. I intuitively want to start in one of these over here. One of these buckets. I want to start with, Lord, you're not going to believe what they did today. Right? And then I'll prescribe a prescription. He needs to take care of it. I have to, because I write my prayers, because I can't stay focused. I have to go back and erase that whole paragraph and start with, Lord, you are. Lord, I, don't even, I don't even let the IMs show up for most of the page. Lord, you are. You are good. You are kind. You are merciful. And Lord, you have. Lord, you have been good to me. You've been good to my family. You've given me a calling, a, a salvation, and a place to serve you. Lord, you have in this section over here, we learn to do the Lord you are, Lord you have. And the point of the prayer moves from what I need and what I want, what I'm trying to get out of God, which is about what every other religion is about in the world. Manipulating God, or at least trying to get him to not be mad at us. To over here, where we begin to have a kind of relationship where through articulating what God, who God is and what he's done, I begin to love God. I don't, maybe there's another religion. I don't know of another religion that talks about loving their God. Serving, yes. Trying to bribe, yes. Trying to be good enough, yes. 
But in this section here, where I'm remembering who God is and how good he's been to me and his intentions toward me, I begin to experience true love with God, appreciation for God, no longer trying to use him, but learning it just in the beginning ways to experience joy in my relationship with God. And yes, later on, I'll talk to God about what it is I think I need and what the issues are. But it, there's something that happens. There's something that happens in here, in this admiring God and being with God, where the, 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 the gates of his blessing begin to flow. And I can't tell you what, what it is or how it happens. I can just tell you what the results are in my life. And I think this is what Teresa was talking about, is that somehow supernatural things begin to happen. Not things that I'm in control of, not things I'd ever try to show off with or something, just things like suddenly I understand what needs to happen in a given relationship. I'm not even praying about that yet. It's down on my list later. Suddenly I have this new idea that I think might move everything forward. Suddenly I have a clarity about why I am struggling with this attitude and what triggered it and, how I need to and what I need to repent of to deal with it. I'm not even down to the point where I'm confessing the truth about me yet. It just comes to me. There is something, some interaction between me and God that happens in here that is powerful. And then the fourth bucket, she says, is like rain. She didn't do anything to cause. It's just God's mercy and God's grace, God's, God's generosity just pouring down on you. And in this kind of a prayer time, you don't even need to tell God what you need. You're just enjoying being with him, knowing that you are loved, knowing that you have been chosen, that you have been forgiven, that you've been reconciled to your creator. Not only knowing that you are suddenly finding yourself in a weird spot, delighting in God, because most of us think of prayer over here where it's a duty. I got to do this. I got to get my 15 minutes in today. Check it off the box. To over here where, wow, I just love being here. I, I really love God. And what's more, he loves me. I think, and this is the hardest one for me. I'm still not done with this one. I think God enjoys me. Because most of the time when I go into his presence, I'm, I'm like, oh no, here we go again, because I've messed up again. But when you get to this place where God's grace is raining down on you, not only enjoy God, but you realize that he enjoys you like a parent watching a toddler learning to walk. He enjoys me. God enjoys my presence and yours. And what happens in that rainstorm of God's, of God's grace is it rains down and it saturates you and you are saturated and now saturated in God's grace and God's acceptance and God's love. You go out of that place and just like a child walking in from a mud puddle, you make tracks everywhere you go. There are puddles of God's grace following you everywhere you go. So when it comes to bearing fruit, it's not like I've got to bear fruit this week. It's no, I'm just going to track it everywhere I go. Because I've been filled with God's grace. I have been graced by God. I've been loved. I've been forgiven. Everywhere I go, I'm going to have a little love, a little, little forgiveness dropping off of me because it's puddling down from what I've experienced this morning. That's why you got to do it every morning. Because you want puddles. You don't walk around all dried up and stiff spiritually. Is it making sense to you? I think if we understood this, that God wants to enjoy our presence. We're not trying to buy God off. We're not trying to get brownie points. We're trying to experience the rain of his goodness so that we have fruit. So what does fruit look like? Fruit looks like three things. It looks like the development of Christian character. I'm becoming more like Jesus. 
That's what we talked about last week. But how do you do that? By spending time with him and letting him just pour into you. The development of Christian character, the development of Christian conduct. You know, being with the right person will bring about a change. It won't just teach you how to put your clothes in the hamper. It'll do even greater things. I was talking to, I think it was, I don't know if it was you or Chelsea, I think it was Cody. I was talking about how much he and Chelsea, his sister, changed when they had kids. I mean, them falling in love was one thing that was nice, and there was quite a bit of change. But when they had kids, I no longer recognized either of them. <laughs> Who are you, and how are you so patient suddenly? You were so self-giving. I, I prayed for this for years. And his sister changed some too. Um, <laughs> but suddenly there was this little thing, person sort of. And it drew all the attention. Schedules go out the window. When it's nap time, we're done. It's time out. Nothing else matters. This kid's going down for a nap. When it's time for feeding, hey, put it on hold because we got, everything changes. Let me tell you the biggest change I saw. Their hearts, my goodness, their hearts got big. They got huge. My daughter bends down and picks up that little squirt. No matter how honored she's been, I could just see the glow in her face. Oh, honey. I'm thinking, wow, that's not how you react to me when I mess up. <laughs> you see that being with that person changes. The Bible says there should be fruit. People ought to be able to look at us and go, oh, something's going, what's different about you? What, what, what's changed? Something's changed. And that leads to the last one of these, which is development of Christian character, development of Christian conduct, and the development of Christian, and I'll use this word, converts. You see, the truth is, if you ever see a big ship, like a liner, like an ocean liner, they leave a big wake. As Christians, we're to go through life loving God so much and being so loved and so confident and so assured of his goodness in our life that we leave a big wake behind us. See, when we say you've got to bear fruit, we go, oh, God, I'm going to have to do this. Yeah, there's some intentionality about it for sure. But could you just imagine yourself in this spot where you've made a point of spending time with Jesus every day, a point of understanding how much he loves you, how much he delights in you, and you're doing the same. And you begin to do that every day and you begin to be more and more comfortable and it moves through the buckets and you find yourself over in this proximity somewhere and it's kind of going along okay and somebody at work goes, what is up with you? Do you not watch the news? How can you be so calm? This whole thing is going down and it's going down fast. I said, well, it's because I'm loved. Yeah, whatever. So do you understand? No, no, you don't, you don't understand. I'm loved more than you can imagine, more than I can imagine. I am confident that I'm loved. I know what the outcomes of my life are going to be. Oh, really? How do you know that? Well, there's these promises that were made, and I just checked in this morning, and they're still true. I don't need to live a reactionary life. By the way, just, just off the record here, 24 is going to be tumultuous. You know that, right? It's going to be crazy in our culture. We have an election coming up. We have people that can't stand each other already. There's going to be all kinds of stuff flying around. You know what? As a Christian, I'm going to park over here. I'm not going to be ignorant of all that stuff. I'm just going to base my life over here, I think. And when you do that, people start going, oh. <laughs> okay, tell me, what's going on? You start, you start taking some meds? What, what? <laughs> all you got to do is go, no. I actually started spending time with Jesus. 
every day. And it's changed everything. It's changed my whole outlook. Does that sound like bearing fruit to you? Does that sound like bearing fruit to me? See, he does the pruning. He does the throwing away. And he bears the fruit through you. So, yes. I want to know him more. I want to change to be like him more. And I want to love more. Yesterday I was driving down the street and I got stopped at a stop sign, stop light. And uh, I'm waiting for the light to change. There's one of those long ones. I look over and there's a homeless guy sitting there on the curb. And, I, and, and, uh, and, I, and then I, it was yesterday morning. And, and I looked a little closer and he was drinking and talking to and drawing on a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's in rough shape. And I'm just kind of trying to process what I'm saying. And then I looked down and he's got no shoes on. And I'm thinking, how did you survive last night with no shoes? Because he didn't have a cart with him, he didn't have anything. It was just him on a curb by himself. And, and drinking whatever was in that, that cup. And I'm, I'm like, dude, that's rough. I'm starting to think about that. And, and then about that time, this really nice black pickup pulls up right, right in the parking lot on the other side of the curb, not over there, right next to him. Big dude jumps out, gets out, and he's carrying a freshly made uh, lunch. I could tell because it's got styrofoam things. And it's not like one or two items. It's like a lot of food. So I'm thinking, you know, I eat out a lot. I know, I know what 50 bucks looks like. And, uh, and I see him carried over and hand to this gentleman to say something to him. And the gentleman thanked him and the guy started to walk back. And then the, the, the homeless guy started talking to him and the guy stopped and stepped back and was having a conversation with this guy. I thought, that's cool. Can, I just need to tell you what my thought was. I know it's... it's my thought was, I wonder if that guy that brought the food, I wonder if that guy's a Christian. Because the Bible says they'll know we are Christians by our political... No, no, hang on, that's not right. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got confused. They'll know we are Christians by how big our car... No, that's not it either. There's another thing there. They will know we are Christians by our love. If ever our country needed people who knew how to love, knew how to love the way we are loved unconditionally, knew how to help people find forgiveness and acceptance and a future and a hope. If ever that was needed, it is needed today. And guess what? We are here and we are up for the challenge. And this year is going to be a year of opportunity and privilege of serving. But only if we are saturated in his love, acceptance, and forgiveness. If we will do that, God will change your life. And he'll change your family through your life. He'll change your community. We might just change this world. And that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, I want to love more this year. Let's pray. Lord God, you love me. You loved me. You love me. You will continue to love me. This I know because your Bible told me so. But Lord, I don't want it to be a cliche. I don't want it to be a... Sunday school song. I want it to be a reality in my life every day. I want to experience your love on such incredible levels. As I open my heart, I am vulnerable. I am consistent in being with you. I want you to fill me with so much love and so much peace and so much joy that I just puddle it everywhere I go. The people who are looking could just see something that might make a difference. Lord God, help me to be ready to give an answer when they ask. Help me to know how to just tell them about you. But most of all, Lord God, help me learn to experience and enjoy your presence. I do love you, Lord. I want to love you more.
In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.